Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Um, all right, so with that being said, uh, our author tonight is uh, Rob Yardumian. Uh, his short fiction has appeared in uh, such esteemed magazines such as Southern Review, the New Orleans Review, the Antioch Review, and many, many, many more. Uh, he lived in Los Angeles for 20 years, half of which he spent working in the music business, which of course brings us to his debut novel, The Sound of Songs Across the Water. Uh, David W. Williams says the sound of songs the sound of songs across the water is a rock and roll novel that does what a rock and roll novel must. Capture the music, the bristling energy and careening emotions of it, and make it loud upon the page. Ladies and gentlemen, here to make it loud, Rob Yardumian. Thank you, David. Uh, I didn't bring any candy, in case anybody's. <laughs> but I will glare at you if your cell phone goes off. I'm going to warn you about that. We'll start with a song from the book. Slumped over in the glare of the jukebox light, Sammy lights a cigarette, drinking double shots just to feel the waiting, and trying hard to forget. She won't be sitting down beside him She won't be coming back at all He just sings alone till morning Till the barmaid gives last call If the river was whiskey If time was just a lie If tonight was forever And if we never had to die And if your tears made a river Flowing from your eyes If that river was whiskey I'd drink up all the tears you cried And Cemetery Sue steps off the platform rolls her neck around it's been a long ride to a new tomorrow lord knows trains will get you down 
Just for a second she thinks of Sammy When she looks up at the moon A countryside away she knows he's listening So she sings a little tune If the river was whiskey If time was just a lie If tonight was forever and if we never had to die And if your tears made a river Flowing from your eyes If that river was whiskey I'd drink up all the tears you cry If they can drink alone to memories And they can sing to moons up in the sky they can remember all the melodies Baby, why can't you and I oh. If the river was whiskey If time was just a lie if tonight was forever And if we never had to die And if your tears made a river Flowing from your eyes If that river was whiskey I'd drink up all the tears you cry I'd drink up all the tears you cried oh, oh. Thank you very much. Okay. All right, so that song, which is called, obviously, If the River Was Whiskey, is a song that is written in the novel by the main character, whose name is Riley Oliver. So I won't tell you too much about um, the plot, because, you know, all of you are going to buy the book and read it like in the next four days. And you know, that would suck if I told you what was going to happen ahead of time. So um, in the third chapter, Riley plays that song and a couple other ones for Will Taylor, who is one of the other main characters. So what we're leading to in the beginning of the book is these two old friends and ex-bandmates getting together to take a listen to Riley's new songs and to see what that summer together of 1995 might bring for them in the case of putting this album of songs together. But I'm actually going to start, I'm going to read a little bit, I'm going to start with page one, uh, chapter one. So you get a sense of how the characters get to know each other and, and where the story actually begins. And uh, in case you're wondering, chapter one takes 13 minutes and 52 seconds to read. Because I'm at Powell's, right, and I didn't know. And I didn't get the books till like 15 minutes before the reading, and so I had never seen this kind of pages before, so I took the phone out and I, and I just, you know, I didn't want to read too long, so that's how long it takes. So, you know, if you've got to put money in the meter or anything, I'm just letting you know. All right, chapter one. So this takes place in July 1995, is the first part of the book. And so here, finally, washed up at last at the end of the world, Riley took a moment before ringing the bell. This dizzy dream, this headlong plan, set to bloom or die trying. Five days in the car, east to west to an address, scrawled on a map, 
across the blue Pacific Ocean to Los Angeles to Will Taylor, to Will fucking Taylor's fucking house. And so now, here at last, what would he find? On the porch, Riley rolled his shoulders, tapped the cassette case in his pocket. The songs are good, he breathed. Let them carry. The front door was graced with a pane of stained glass, the intricate pattern, a treble clef, cut fine in ruby, resting on a sharp black staff, defeating his attempts to peer inside. Riley straightened his hair and the reflection stood as tall as he could. He should have shaved, washed his shirt, that motel back in Needles. Next to the door was a small brass plaque that read Casa de Melodia, the thin black script flowing around the doorbell. He dug his nails sharply into the palms of his hands, five seconds, ten, then pushed the button with his thumb. Three notes chimed away inside. Driving in off highways at last, he'd craned his neck at the impossibly tall and skinny palms. Shaggy heads bent inward, murmuring his arrival. And the sunlight. Slippery as satin, it introduced itself to everything. The waxed bumpers, the wrought iron gates, shyly, by brushing up against, by furtively draping. The sun, a kind of promiser, false-hearted, a hooker in an alley, a guy could pull a quarter from your ear. A fellow traveler, Riley felt. One hand out the window, cupped and warming, as if trapping all the courage in the sky. The last time he'd seen Will, the morning after that lost night, December 8th, 1980. A date you don't forget, obviously. Riley said goodbye, turned his collar up against the rain, turned his back on everything. Locked his guitar away for a long, long time. Now, inside the porch, a turret really, this Spanish thing out here, it was cooled, shadowed, cushioned by a low collar of thick green hedge, two metal chairs, a table of comfortable tile, the mat at his feet reading welcome, now go away, smell of something sweet on the air. The street hushed from this high perch, one nervy bird trilling out a single note, sharp and insistent, his hand still singing the gate's rough iron that moment before jumping, perched, exposed, for the first time in years. The door swung open, a slim woman leaning on the jam in a white tank top and blue check pajama pants, bare feet crossed at the ankles, short black hair, tawny skin, something guarded in her sharp green eyes. Thanks for coming out, she said, Saturday and all. Um, Riley said, sure. Where's all your, you know, she waved a hand, stuff. He gestured down the hill, it's, it's in the car. Aren't you going to need it? Well, I thought I wasn't. She shook her head once, quickly, crossed her arms, and muscles popped. Aren't you the board guy? Riley felt his face go dumb. The board guy? You're not the board guy. Riley shook his head. Her face began to close. Then who are you? I'm Riley, Riley said, smiling hard, hand out. I'm a friend of Will's. A black cat appeared, twirling around her ankles. The woman cleared her throat, and Riley pulled his hand back. Everyone's a friend of Will's, she said. Riley trimmed the smile. I've come a long way to see him. How far? The cat wandered out. Riley bent to scratch the top of its head. Fifteen years, he said. Three thousand miles. Uh-huh, she said. Does he know you're coming? No, not exactly. The woman shrugged herself off the jam and made as if to close the door. Will's in the studio. He's not going to be done for a while. Why don't you come back around dinner time? She peered out around him to the driveway. How'd you get up here anyway? I climbed the gate, Riley said. Look, I got nowhere else to go. Her voice dropped a tone. You... Climbed the gate. Yeah. Sorry. That's, I know, sorry. He waved an arm vaguely. I was waiting for a sniper to take me out. Her gaze forced him to look down. We gave him the weekend off, she said finally, a hand on her hip. Daughter's wedding. Ah, Riley said, looking up again. Fortunate for me. Her face had paused, only half closed, a little softer around the mouth, and he glanced around. Do you put him rooftop or bushes? 
We like the roof, she said, more range. Right, right, he eyed the landscaping. Still, bushes. He knelt, aimed an imaginary rifle. Ground cover, point blank. I'll keep that in mind. Fish in a barrel. Uh-huh. Who are you again? He straightened up, stuck his hand out again. Riley Oliver, I'm an old friend, and I need to see him. Please. She shut her eyes and shook her head again, quickly, almost a twitch. Then, eyes still closed, she opened her arm in invitation toward the shadowed hall behind her. Thanks, Riley said, dropping his hand again. The doorway beckoned, every step from here unknown. She was the keeper of the key. He could see that much, left alone in the living room, folding himself into a small and agreeable shape. The room was spare and handsome, leather couch, hardwood floor, paintings on the walls. More than Will's touch on hand, he'd wager. And now Riley, dragging trouble in like muddy footprints. Trouble and spark and the band they used to be. Riley and Will, hammer and tongs, every little thing. Just leave him, all that that weighed between them and the years that made it heavier. But too, the groove they'd shared, sharp and sweet as Gaston Rose. That was rock and roll. He shook his head. This trip would stir up some ghosts, at least, one in particular. He dug his nails in again, harder, then released. Four tiny craters across the base of his palm, deep enough to carry all the confidence he felt. On the walls around him, metal trinkets nodded from niches. Careful, the word that came to mind. These are careful people, so much to lose. She returned with two mugs, tags dangling. Coasters, she commanded. Riley scrambled to the pile, vintage advertisements laminated into squares and dealt two out onto the coffee table. She placed the mugs down and curled into the club chair, flexing her fingers. Riley on the couch reached for his tea. Ah, she snapped and he snatched his hand back as if burned. Let it steep, it's herbal. Herbal, he thought, right. He waved a hand. This is a beautiful room, he tried. Yeah, she said, her eyes still where. You're gonna sell me something, aren't you? Riley looked down at the steam from the mug, at the mug, a photograph on it of Will and the woman arm in arm, Will in a tuxedo, her in a wedding dress, their younger eyes shining, smiles six miles wide and true. He glanced at her hand and there was the ring, simple and silver. I hope so, he said. She shrugged, a grudging, could be worse. I'm Lena, she said. Riley, Riley said. She smiled a little. Right. Yeah, he said. Next verse. She picked up the mug, swirled the tea bag. Her strength somehow gathered in her hands, her fingers, nails of brilliant blue. Hit me, she said, not looking up. He took a sip, not expecting mint, the menthol spiraling up his sinuses. Will and I used to be in a band together, he began. Hang on, a note of disbelief. I saw Wisdom Tree 16 times. No, 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 Riley protested. This was before Wisdom Tree. I'm talking late 70s, ancient history. He snuck a look at her 16 times? She shrugged. I was a fan first. How long have you been married? Seven years. Hmm. He sipped his tea, glanced at her. She made a winding motion with her fingers. Right, he nodded. So, late 70s, we had this band back east. I was a singer. Will played guitar. We called ourselves, wait, she commanded again, her hand in the air. I know you. You were in Gaston Rose. Riley was astonished. How did you know that? She stood, padded over to a bookcase against the wall. Riley watched her squat to the bottom shelf, thumb through a sheaf of magazine spines, select one. She brought it back to the table. It was a rolling stone. You haven't seen this, she asked. Seen what, Riley asked. She just chuckled. Man, she said, you're going to trip. She flipped the magazine open, found the turned-down corner, spun it around toward him. A large photo covered both pages. Will Taylor, sitting in a studio in front of an enormous soundboard, a red Gretsch electric left-handed in his lap. Dressed in black and barefoot, he stared at the camera. His face was thinner, lined, his eyes intense and relaxed at the same time. He looked formidable. The headline read, The Hard-Earned Wisdom of Will Taylor. 
Nice, Riley said. Pretty guitar. Turn the page, Lena prompted. The article continued, text winding around several photographs from Will's career. Riley scanned and stopped dead. A small photo in the corner showed Will playing guitar on a stage, and next to him was Riley himself, singing. A long scarf around his neck and dangling to the floor, and the caption read, Rosie Future, with Riley Oliver and Gaston Rose. No way, Riley whispered. How'd they get this? Will gave it to him. They were doing the interview, and he mentioned that band. They thought it'd be cute to run a picture. She bent in close. It's a nice shot, she said. I remember that night, Riley said. Somebody gave me that scarf, said I'd look like Rod Stewart. I only had it on for a couple songs. It was about a million degrees in that club, but that was a good gig. Where was it? Baltimore, maybe? D.C.? We didn't travel far in those days. He looked up at her. Can I have this? She smiled, pushed herself back up into the chair. No, she said, but you can order a back copy. Riley returned to the photo. He traced it with a finger. We were a good band, he said. So I've heard, Lena said carefully. Really? She nodded once. What did he say? Good songs, tight. She looked him in the eye. Hell of a singer. He felt his ears redden, warmth spreading from the top of his head. And that something bad happened one night in New York City. Riley winced, glanced away. That had come up quick. He studied the patterns in the carpet, the crimson and the cream. At least she didn't know. Yeah, he said. He wondered if you were still singing, she said. And he shook his head. No, not for a long time after that. They fell silent. Riley turned the mug in his fingers, studied the photo of the two of them. But I heard those Wisdom Tree, rec those wisdom tree songs he offered. American Eden, those records. Felt weird, you know. I'd imagine it would. Sometimes I'd try singing them just to see what if. He smiled. I had to give up pretty quick. She granted him a small smile back. Don't feel bad. No one could sing like Gordy Ames. She paused. But what a dick. Riley burst out laughing. Was he? I always thought. Oh my God, she said. He tried to hit on me at our wedding. Nice. She settled in and sipped, regarding him anew. So, Riley, all these years, help me understand, you were in the neighborhood? Riley pursed his lips, took a long breath, considered how to tell this. I have some songs, he finally said. And this is what, she asked, the Blues Brothers, you're getting the band back together? He had to laugh, no, it's not that, I want to make a record. Her eyebrows knitted, you want to make a record, with us. He nodded, that's why you're here? She was half smiling, do you know how busy we are? Guess who called yesterday, Riley shrugged, Polly Harvey. She's doing a track for a movie, do you know what I told her? Can't squeeze, can't squeeze you in, better call Lanois. She counted on her fingers. We turned down Nick Cave this summer, Yola Tango, Mazzy Star. She settled back on him. We're saying no to PJ Harvey, Riley. Eyes fixed on the carpet, Riley gave a tight smile. That doesn't bode well for me. No, it doesn't. I'm sorry. He glanced over at her, curled in the big chair. You got cute feet, he said. I know, she said, but that's not worth a quarter of a million dollars. That's not points on a Winterfields record. Do you hear what I'm saying? Winterfields? You're doing them? They'll be here next month. Man, I love that first record. Thanks. We did that one, too. His eyes fell back to the coffee table. The air in the living room was getting close. Late morning, the day warming the keeper of the key. Can I see him at least? He asked softly. Will? He'll take a break in a while. You can talk to him then. She stood, gathered the mug, spoke over her shoulder on her way to the kitchen. But don't be thinking you're going to play good cop, bad cop on us, Riley. That ain't going to fly. She turned the corner, her bottom winking in the thin pants. I'll go get my stuff, he called out. Her head snapped back around the corner. Your stuff? Yeah, he said slowly. I've, I've got a bag. Maybe bring the guitar inside out of the a bag? Just a duffel, some socks and things. Wait. She turned, put the empty mugs down beside her, came back, arms akimbo. Are you planning on staying here? 
He tried a little smile. I was hoping to, yeah. Man, this ain't the Holiday Inn. You can't just check in. A vision of Peugeot rose up. The trash, the smell, the hours and the miles he'd spent to make it here. The day he'd spent packing, dropping the key off with Jack. Just last week, but it felt like years. I've got nowhere else to go, he tried. Uh-huh. We have a word for that. It's called homeless. Riley considered this. I have a home, he said. I'm just a little removed from it right now. Well, she said, that's not my problem. Her hands jumped off her hips, fluttered around. Just sit there, okay? She strode off, muttering, heels booming on the wood floor. And Riley sat, screwed to a perch. Breathe, he thought. On the couch, the wispy sunlight searched and found him, caressed the back of his hand, a whisper touch, a keeper of secrets, a comrade's wink. Thanks. Okay, so... Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the book and the record that goes along with it and then um, I'm expecting every single one of you to ask at least one question. That's like the minimum price for coming in the door. Because you know what, if you buy a book I'm going to give you a CD for free. Such a deal. I got no candy but I got free CDs. Um, you guys missed that joke. It was earlier. It was, the, it was this, these people are coming to read and they give away candy. And so. It's all right. I'm just keeping everybody, you know. No, 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 no. You pay attention. Jeez. Come in late. Is Andy with you? Oh, all right. We'll talk. We'll talk later. So, okay. Um, I used to live about a mile from here um, for a long time. And um, I lived in this neighborhood for almost 20 years. This was my neighborhood bookstore. And uh, I was thrilled to get the chance to come back and read here. I want to thank everybody at Skylight for making that happen for me. Um, let me thank a few more folks. I want to especially thank Michael Ritterbrown, um, who was my primary reader and best pal through all. I read every single word of every single draft and helped me shape it, shape it into what it is now. Um, couldn't have done it without him. Um, and of course, the lovely uh, Sarah Rivara, who came along on this trip with me to come down the coast and do a little reading. She's been, you know, groupie and roadie and guitar tech and, and girlfriend. So that's been wonderful. Um, so this book, I used to run around Silver Lake in the mornings. It's about three miles, give or take, around the lake, right? So I'd been writing short stories for a long time, and I had essentially finished what I thought was a collection. A bunch of them had been published, but I was like, okay, I want to try to write a a novel. So one morning I was running around Silver Lake and this, this idea came to me um, completely whole. And I ran home and I, and I got on the computer and I, and I wrote like a page of just thoughts about like the, there's a dude who used to be in a band with this guy and then he finds him later and all these things happen. I don't want to give away any plot. Um, and then I sort of sat there and I looked at it and I knew that I had I knew that that was a novel. I didn't necessarily know that was going to be the first one I would write, but I knew that, okay, that's an idea and I can put that aside and that's going to be a book. And there were a couple other ideas um, and Michael and I went out a bunch of times and hashed it through and we ended up deciding on the easy book, which was this one. Uh, that was 2003. So, damn glad we didn't decide on the hard one. Um, so, the, the novel essentially at its center is about um, a, an album of songs that the two characters work on over the course of this summer. So as I was writing the book, I was also writing the songs at the same time. Because I felt like uh, it, it just would make, there were a lot of scenes in the book with music. There's scenes where he's writing, there's scenes where he's in the studio, there's scenes where they play a gig at the Troubadour. So it, it needed to have that um, feeling of truth about the songs. And, and, and I felt like I needed to know how those songs 
worked um, from, their, from their very core so that I knew what it felt like for him to sit in there with the headphones on and that buzz in his ears playing these songs. So I would sort of stack these songs up over the years as I was writing and they would appear in different places in the, in the book. So when I was done, and this idea was actually on that first day also, I would also make the record once I'd sold the book. So I sold the book and then um, it was about three or four months ago I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And I thought, that's going to be a pain in the ass and it's going to cost a lot of money and I don't know who I'm going to get to make it with me. I can't do it myself. But, like, can you imagine like 10 years from now being at a party and telling somebody, I had a book, and, oh, this is what it was. And oh, there's this album of songs that goes with the book. And they're like, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't make the album. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a terrible story. So I'm like, that's an awful story. So I had to do it. Um, so first we went on Kickstarter and we made a bunch of money. I co-opted my son, uh, to, who's, you know, seven. And he banged on the drums for a couple hours and we, we, played a, we played a concert in the dining room for all of his stuffed animals that we lined up on the couch. And we put that on Kickstarter and we made almost $5,000. And I'm like, if it had just been me walking down the street, you know, it would have been like, here's like eleven fifty. So, you know, he brought in all the money and I bought him, yes, I bought him a really nice, like, $60, like, Bakugan thing. So, just in case, you know. So we have the record, and so the two things really felt like they go together. Um, it has the same title as Riley's record does. About eight of the ten songs are in the book, plus a couple more that have been written since then. And um, it was really gratifying to be able to complete both of those things. Uh, the, the record was finished about like ten days ago, and then finally got mastered and duplicated. So I brought a bunch of them with me, and uh, if you buy a book, I'll give you a CD. And then as you're reading, you can you can hear what the songs actually sound like in real life, which may or may not be better than like the magical version you have in your head that sounds like John Lennon or something. Mine don't. But uh, so that's how the two bits came together and how it started. So, questions? Anyone? Edmund. Um, don't ask me about the Cowboys. Okay. Sorry, you did answer the first question I had in your... <laughs> I'm good at that. Um, so it took you, from the time you started writing it, 10 years um, to complete and sell the novel. Were there times during then where you said, ah, screw it, this, I'm not going to finish this? And if you did have those thoughts, what kept you going? No, there weren't. Never? No. Um, never thought about starting another book. Never thought about not writing this one. And I got my MFA in 97, and I had, I had, I had set up this sort of Monday through Friday, a couple hours, first thing in the morning time frame before work. And I'd get up early and, and carve out that time. And it really, it just worked into a groove that I was comfortable with. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm nothing if not a creature of habit. So, you know, to break that habit would have been harder <laughs> than to keep going. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I believed in the story. I believed in the characters. Um, it was four entire drafts, like start to finish, blow it up, start to finish again four times, um, the last of which was, and then we did another edit, I did another edit with the editor, which was a sort of a smaller one because we didn't have as much time. So it was like four and a half complete edits of the book over that time. You know, drafts would get completed every couple of years. So it was always changing and evolving. Um, you know, there are always interesting things to change in the next draft that you didn't think of in the first draft. Or I would look at my big giant notes document and I'd be like, that was really stupid all this bit you talked about, how the two characters came together. Now I gotta change all that, 
because I don't know what the hell I was thinking for four years while I wrote that part. So, you know, you never get comfortable with, a, I, if I went back today, it would be a completely different book in six months again, but I, I'm done. I'm like, I, don't, I can't open it anymore. But there was never a point where I got bored with it or, you know, work or family or anything over, well, there were, there were weeks when I didn't write, but there were never months where I didn't write. So the whole time. So it was pretty consistent. Do I get a follow-up? Go ahead. The bench will grant a follow-up. One follow-up. <laughs> how did you know, after doing four and a half drafts, how did you know or decide it was done? Because the editor said, I have to have it by Thanksgiving. <laughs> so um, I thought it was done after three. Uh, it had gone from 500 pages to 400 pages over those three drafts. And it, for a couple of years, it was done. And I tried to shop it to agents. And I got nowhere. It was completely depressing and, and ridiculous situation trying to get an agent. One agent finally said, who was an agent of a friend of mine whose book was huge, um, you know, he got blessed by the finger of Oprah and, and all of the above. And so he said, yeah, send it to her. So yeah, it took her like six months to read it. And she finally gets back to me and she said, I love it. You're immensely talented. It's a wonderful book for all these reasons. Then the second paragraph started with but. Here's three things. I can't sell it. And here's three reasons why. She gave me three really specific bits of feedback, um, which is a little unusual. And you know, I sat there and I looked at that thing and I was like, man, she's right. She's right about all three of them. And so I called Michael like as soon as... I don't remember exactly, um, but it was... The stakes probably weren't high enough, that kind of stuff. Um, there was probably not enough of a, not enough depth to the, the way that the, it's, it's really a triangle between the three main characters, Riley and Will and Lena, throughout the whole book. And, you know, it's been a struggle to, to keep the depths of each of those relationships at a, at a consistent level, um, to have each of them play a, a roughly equal part when only two of them get points of view. You know, so some of those kind of crafty things where you're balancing depth and things like that, you're juggling a lot of different elements for each of the characters. So sometimes Lena had a lot more music business stuff in earlier drafts because she works for the studio and it felt like that was her, her character was, was taking up too much of the, of the energy of the space so she had to come down. So I called her and I said, um, all right, you know, I'm going to do this and I'll have a new draft for you in three months. And then 18 months later, I sent it to her. Um, and I'm expecting, I noticed I kept her up to date the whole time. Okay, great, can't wait to read it. And I thought, oh, she'll just read it. And if I'm lucky, we'll have a deal. And if not, it's a better book and I'll just go. And I think it was like a year and two months later, she finally wrote me back. Like two weeks after I'd already gotten an offer from the small press. Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to be able to take your book. So it's that kind of stuff. Um, so that part is immensely frustrating. Um, but I had done that draft. That was the fourth draft. I sold it. They said, we're going to do an edit with you. And then my editor left immediately as soon as he signed me, left the company. They finally got another one in. She and I worked on it. And she said, um, she finally contacted me like the first week of November and said, I need to finish the thing by Thanksgiving. And here's, here's so she sent me two things. She sent me a letter that was about four pages long. And, and here's all the major stuff you need to fix. And then she sent me a line edited copy of the, of the manuscript with you know, notations on like every other line. And you got three weeks, which was actually great because I could go back to her and go, okay, I'm not gonna do one, two, six, seven, nine, 11, and 12, because I don't have time. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna suddenly add another point of view character when I only have three weeks. It was like big stuff. Two or three of them I was like, that's an interesting idea, but that's a different book. 
I feel like, and then the rest of them I did, and I worked with her really closely on stuff really fast, get in there, crank it out, spend as much time as you can, go to sleep, get up the next day, as much time as you can do around all the stuff, you know, Liz was giving me to work on all that time. Uh, but that's really quick, and it's compressed, and it's done, and then you send it in, she's like, yep, looks pretty good, here's a couple more things to fix, little wording things, and then we were done. So it wasn't a question of do I think it's done, it was they told me it was done. And, and in all of those processes, including that when it got better, I was really happy with what she suggested, the way we worked together was great. I had never done that before, so that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it was Thanksgiving, it was done, and, and you gotta let it go, which was strange. <laughs> but yeah, that's how it came together. Anybody else? Questions? Um, yes, Liz? How hard was it to think of the title? That was the hardest part. Man, how many did we go through? I had, I had a document that was just titles. Like single space, like two pages. Combinations of three words, you know, this and that. We never, this was at the very end. This was like a month before, a couple weeks before it went to press. They were like, okay, what's the title? I'm like, I don't know, it's only been 10 years. So, um, you know, for a long time the title was going to be, um, Oh, what's that word that means the the, metaf metam the final version of a, of a caterpillar? Uh, no, it's the uh, uh, Imago. Imago was going to be the title, which Michael <laughs> liked, um, which means the final form of something after it has metamorphosed, which meant so much to me. And then like, you know, seven years in, I was like, I hate that. That's awful. Um, you know, I, I, there were lots of ideas about the music and how, and how the music and the relationship could somehow play into it. Um, this title essentially gets at the idea that um, the, the, the real emotion and the, and the movement of the story all takes place in the backyard of this big house. So um, they live up in the hills in Las Feliz and, and, in their, and as you walk down the steps to the backyard, there's a pool house on one side and that's where Riley lives during the summer. There's a pool in the middle and then the studio's on this side, and that's where Will works, and bands come in and out, and that's where they make the record. And, and really, one of, the, one of the things I did in the drafts was really chop it down, all the extraneous stuff, till it, it really it lived in that backyard, and it was just the three of them. There are other characters, and they go places and do things, but I wanted it to somehow reference that notion. So the sound of songs across the water sort of reflects Lena sitting in her office, looking out over that backyard with the window open to summer, Riley sitting on a chaise, writing songs across the pool, head down, concentrating, and she's listening to this music come across the water into her, into her office all summer long. And the things that that does to her, she undergo undergoes profound changes as well through the course of the summer. Um, Riley becomes kind of a catalyst for a lot of things, good and bad, that happen in that backyard. So that's where we landed. Um, and, you know, I turned it in and the publisher hated it. And we came up with another one in like a day and a half and they hated that one more. And so we went back to this one because I found out like a month later they'd already printed the galleys and I was like, well, what did they use for the title? Like, oh, they went back to the first one. So this is what it is and uh, yeah, it's another one of those things where you're not ever done hating your title. <laughs> but you just live with it. Yes. How about the cover? I'm giving you the visuals you just described. Yeah. Um, yeah, the publisher had a graphic designer, um, not exactly in-house, I think it was like in the same building that they, that they use a lot, uh, up in San Francisco. So, you know, we were talking about ideas. The first idea that they sent was cool, but it had an electric guitar, like a black Gibson, um, showing the whole guitar, and it was all 
But there wasn't any, there wasn't any blue. I think it was just black and white with a black guitar. And I was like, e it's not really that kind of rock and roll novel. It's not about punk rock and junkies and it's not that book. So then we said, well, you know, I said, okay, I got on the phone and they, they let me get on the phone with the guy. And we had a couple of nice phone conversations, which was great. I really appreciated that they let me do that. So I said, okay, first of all, he plays an acoustic guitar. So let's change that. That feels more right. Um, and let's do something that's not quite as on the nose. Some of the, so some of this water stuff was on, was on the front. Yeah, that was here and then they moved it to the back. So a little bit more subtle. And then eventually, um, I think I spent a couple hours on the stock photo site. Just, just anything that had the shape of a guitar or part of a guitar or just like the details of the bridge of the guitar. You know, some, like a, like a, a, I sent them a bunch of stuff and this is what they, this is what he did. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. So it was more about um, a reference of the shape. I've had a number of people come up and say, I really like the cover. What is it? Like people don't. Uh, a lot of people don't automatically get that it's a guitar. I always tell them um, it's a woman's hip. So <laughs> see if they question that. But um, yeah, it, 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 it probably three iterations. I would say it came up together pretty quickly. Um, but I was happy that they gave me an opportunity to sit in and chat with them a couple times. That was cool. More questions? Yes. Thanks, so I had a question about the title. Mm -hmm. names. Were those, did you stay with those? Uh, I, not because there's, um, you know, once I made the decision to have Riley and Lena alternate chapters of point of view, so, you know, to my mind, Riley's always been the main character, but I couldn't call it something about Riley with his name in it. Something about Riley would have been a great title, but, um, <laughs> damn. <laughs> but, uh, but because, they were all fairly equal players in this, what happens over that summer. You can't put three characters in the title. And none of them was the main character that, that felt like they should be honored by having their name in the title. So unfortunately, I couldn't do that, which would have been easier. I mean, the character names themselves. When I came home from the, from the lake that day, so I had this long, about a page and a half, notes about the story. And I, I will share one moment that, that didn't make it into the story, which was there's a magical guitar that used to belong to Buddy Holly that the character steals in the end. And I was like, whew. I think, don't listen to all your ideas, because not all of them are good. Um, but then I started this notes doc that stayed with me through all 10 years, the same Word document of just nothing but notes, 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 with huge table of contents at the beginning. It ended up being like more than a hundred pages of single space. Just everything I'd think of, I would just pour into that. And if you scroll all the way down to the bottom, the very first thing is tables of names. So I'm like, okay, there's three people, there's two guys and a woman, um, and I just went to that like social security index list of all the baby names. And you can just put in a year of birth, which was 1960 for them, give or take, top thousand, and it just spits out like the top thousand baby names from whatever year you put in. You just scroll through, nope, nope, nope. And so there's about 30 or 40 for each of the characters in that original list. So I tried them out and wrote some scenes with, with all the different names. And Riley and Lena and Will stuck from maybe like three or four days later and they never changed. I did have to change the, turn, the Will and Lena's last name because their last name was Turner. I've not seen Pirates of the Caribbean, but apparently Will Turner is a big pirate character. <laughs> and so people were like, you, you, know, you know he's a pirate, right? I'm like, 
I didn't know that. So at the very last, the last thing we did was change Turner to Taylor throughout the whole book. Um, that was hard to get rid of. But yeah, so their, character, their names didn't change, which was good. Anything else? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this is going to sound awful. I read, um, not a lot, um, Laurel Canyon, the movie, was probably a pretty close reference point. Um, I don't think that came from a book. I think it's just a movie, but it's a very lyrical kind of story, and, um, I watched that. Um, I tried to read, um, a visit from the Goon, Goon Squad, is that right? I couldn't read that book. I'm sorry, I know everybody likes it, but... It was too disjointed, and, and it wasn't what I was trying to do, and, and it ended up sort of distracting me more than anything else. Um, I didn't really find any great, you know, I, a million websites, right? right? You know, you, you, you stack up a catalog of, I need this particular tiny bit of information about this particular thing, and, and over the course of that much time, you find your go-to rock and roll websites. You know, there used to be a thing where um, there's a, uh, I'll try not to spoil it too much. There's a dead character who plays a role. And there were these re repetitive scenes that, where he would show up, come down from heaven, and, and he would talk about all the debauchery that's going on up there. And I had great fun like writing these scenes of, of all the shit that the dead drummers are doing up in heaven that he's, you know, that he's doing with them. And so I had to make sure that I could only use people who died before 1995. So, um, you know, I really wanted Bruno Sammartino to work the door for a party they were going to, but he didn't die till like 97, so Sonny Liston had to step in. But, you know, you find these things. That's got to be true, right? Because somebody's going to bust me on it. But not a lot of novels, you know. I didn't find that there were a lot of books that I could put my finger on that were doing something similar enough, and I don't know if I would have wanted to read them anyway. Might have been a little weird. Anything else? All right. Play one more song? All right, I'm gonna do one more song. Okay, so this song is another song that um, Riley plays for Will in chapter three. And this is a song that he, this is the last song he wrote before he gets in his car and drives across country. So it's brand new for him and it, it he says, you know, it still feels green, but it's based on uh, the saddest story I ever read, which is true, um, at least from his creator's standpoint. It's a short story by James Joyce called Araby. And if you ever read that story, it is, um, it's enormously affecting. And so Riley read that story one night right before he was about to go cross country. And then he stayed up all night writing this song. And so this is another one of the songs that he plays for Will um, in the beginning of the novel. So this is called Araby. Hey. Steal a pack of bones and come uptown Hey Dress up in your sister's hand-me-downs We'll bottle up this kerosene And we'll burn all the churches to the ground Swap 
Swallow all this cyanide and make believe we're the lost and found. But out here it's too cold to remember. Out here it's far too late to pretend Hurry 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 Take a look, the circus is in town Hey Let's kidnap the jugglers and the clowns Turn loose the elephants Steal the big top and set the thing aflame Fly away on trapeze wires To a place where no one knows our names But out here it's far too late to remember And out here it's too damn cold to pretend Hurry, 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 if sixpence buys a miracle, here's a farthing to carry off with you. If wanting something bad enough Could help to make it true If you could see me standing in the dark A fool at Araby If wanting something bad enough only make it be. Thank you very much. Now let's sign some books. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.